The title for the message tonight is Stay Pure, It's Possible. Stay Pure, It's Possible. Have you ever wondered how an Eskimo kills a wolf? Well, first the Eskimo takes his knife and he coats the blade with animal blood and he allows it to freeze. And then he adds another layer of blood and another until the blade is completely concealed in frozen blood, kind of like a popsicle. Next, the Eskimo hunter fixes his knife in the frozen tundra with its blade pointed up. When the wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the, the, the blood, he begins to lick And he licks faster and faster, more and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. Feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the cold Arctic night. So great becomes his craving for blood that he doesn't notice the razor-sharp sting of the naked blade on his own tongue. Nor does he recognize the instant at which his insatiable thirst is being satisfied with his own blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more and more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. He gave his life for his desire. Is this not a vivid illustration of how our enemy tries to destroy us? How many men and women have given their lives, their freedom, their future for their uncontrolled, unquenchable passions? How many wounds, scars, regrets are the result of a feverish pursuit of sensual pleasure? God in his word has given us much direction, much, much instruction on the subject of moral purity. It is a life and death matter. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Which would indicate that the inverse is also true. Those who do not possess a pure heart will not see God. Those who are morally pure those whose behavior is governed by the principles of right and wrong will see God. Now, I don't need to tell you that we live in a society that is immoral. The passions and standards of many are not governed by the Word of God. Evolution and Darwinism has accelerated the degradation of morals because it's tried to undermine and silence the absolutes of God's word. And this has had a big impact on the moral fiber of the society around us. However, those who are part of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, our passions, our physical and emotional feelings are governed by God's word. And there's wonderful fulfillment and freedom in that. Now, God has created each one of us with physical desires and passions, and that is good. That is, not, that, that is not wrong. We were created that way. And that's why God has set boundaries to protect us from the power that these passions have to destroy us. I'd like to turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 7. 
And we'd like to take the message here from Proverbs 7. I do have a handout that I would like to hand out to you here in just a moment that you can follow along. Um, I hope I have enough copies here. The book of Proverbs is written by a man who very well understood the uh, power of human passion, the devastation of immorality, and the blessings of being governed by God's law. I hope we have enough of those. I think I have about 50 per side. So if there's not quite enough, you'll have to look off of your neighbors, I guess. Now, Proverbs 7 is an account of what takes place, what happens when a man and a woman's morals are not pure. This story is negative in nature, but I believe it can be positive as its truth is applied. We have two main characters in this chapter. The first one is a lustful lad or a youth, and the second is a lewd woman. And when those two come together, it's a recipe for disaster. Now, as you'll notice on your handout, we want to look at this story in four parts. We want to look at the depravity of a lustful heart. Number two, we want to look at the design of Satan's lure. And number three is the devastation and loss of immorality. And then finally, we want to close on a positive note, dealing the death blow to lust. Proverbs chapter 7, you can follow along in your Bibles as we read this account here. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding." passing through the street near her corner. And he went the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have... I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face. And I have found thee. And I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves for the good man is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him, and will come home at the day appointed. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. 
He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Tell a dart strike through his liver, and a bird, and as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, nor go astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. We want to begin with the depravity of a lustful heart. Now, when something is depraved, it is full of great moral corruption and wickedness. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Desperately means beyond hope. Beyond hope. And that's this evening, that's why we need a heart, a spiritual heart transplant. The first human-to-human heart transplant took place on December the 3rd, 1967, in Cape Town, South Africa. And the man who received the new heart lived for about 18 days. I think the statistics have gotten much better than that. But the first one lived for 18 days. The Lord Jesus has been doing spiritual heart transplants for thousands of years. And those who allow him to do that to their life experience new life. Now notice the first thing about the depraved lustful heart is that it lacks understanding. And you'll see that on your handout. It lacks understanding. Notice this young man, it says, is simple. And that word simple means that he's roomy. He's open in a mental or moral sense. He's senseless. He's stupid, he's seducible, he's void of understanding. That's what that word simple means. And sin does that to our hearts. It makes us very stupid. It makes us make stupid choices, unintelligent choices, because we become drunk with our own desires. Society promotes openness when it comes to morals. The moral arena is very roomy, even to the point where a child or an adult is free to decide what gender they'd like to become. In fact, they don't even have to be, they can become a cat or a dog or whatever animal they choose if they so desire. From what I hear, the high school in in Brooks has a litter box. Can you imagine? It just keeps going down further and further. They accept same-gendered attraction and relationships, and they say it's natural. Friends, it's not natural. It's not normal. But it is the result of morals that are going further and further away from God. That is what happens. This young man is simple because he did not learn to discipline his mind. He let it wander, he let it dream, he let it fantasize, and he left the door wide open to seduction. His imagination was unrestrained, and an unrestrained imagination is a hotbed for immoral action. Many young men and women, many older men and women, are committing immorality through their imagination. 
First Corinthians 10 verse 5 commands us to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Either we will take our thoughts captive or they're going to take us captive. All right, notice the second thing about a depraved, lustful heart. It's led by its longings. It's led by its longings. Verse 8 brings this point out. He went the way to her house. Notice his feet are following his heart. This young man goes near the harlot's house. He doesn't go right past at first. Before he knows it, he's on his way to her house. And any conscience, any caution that he has is thrown to the wind. His unbridled longings are leading him quickly to the point of no return. Verse 9, notice the time of day he chooses to take his walk. It's in the evening. It's in the night. The more he feeds his thoughts, the more the stronger his desires become. You know, the Bible has various examples of individuals who allowed their desires to lead their feet, and the end result was always devastating. David allowed his lust to lead him into a choice that caused him pain and suffering for the rest of his life. Of course, he repented and he received God's mercy, but he lived with the consequences of that choice for the rest of his life. Same thing happened to Samson. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And I find for myself this battle of moral purity is something that I grapple with continually. It's something that I believe we will grapple with for the rest of our lives. But praise the Lord, there's victory through the Lord Jesus when we let him have our hearts. We need the power of Christ living within to give us the power to overcome these desires. Are your desires controlling you or are you in control of them? Thirdly, a depraved, lustful heart lingers and listens and looks. You know, when something or someone lingers, they put off leaving. They kind of wait, kind of hang around. Now, this woman has quite a speech. She knows her prey. She knows what to say. The young man just stands there. He lingers. He listens. And the slope is beginning to get much more slippery now. The temptation moves from an internal thought process to an external live feed. The time to get out of temptation is before you get to this point. The scriptures say that God is faithful and he makes a way to escape. But there does come a point when you get past that way to escape. And this this young man, he's heading there very, very fast. Dear friends, if you linger for extended view time, You're standing on the edge of the cliff. If you purposely stand or park or browse or look down or linger where you can feed the lust of your heart, you are on dangerous ground. You know, we can get pretty good at figuring out how to accidentally sin on purpose. Oh, yes, we can. We can get pretty good at figuring out how to do it discreetly. But be sure your sin will find you out. You know, we only deceive ourselves if we think that we can control lust. 
Joseph is a wonderful example of a young man that got himself out. And what got him out was his fear of God. And he took the way of escape. He left his, he left his jacket in, his, uh, in the, his boss's wife's hand, and he got him out. He took the way of escape. Oh, yes, he went to prison for it, but in his heart he was free. Jesus said, Whoso looketh, and that word looketh means continued inspection, whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her, has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Fourth point here, under the depravity of a lustful heart, is it loses control. That is the next step. It loses control. And you'll notice here in verse 22, he goes after her straight away. Instantly, there is no hesitation. Even if there is a prick of guilt, his conscience has been seared to the point where he just ignores it. The batteries in his smoke alarm have gone dead, and he walks into the fire, overcome by the heat of the moment. This, man, this young man is like a steer that's walking down that chute to the kill floor. He has gone beyond the point of no return. When the steer... I don't know how many of you have ever been to a slaughterhouse. But when the cattle, when the steers get into that chute that goes down to the kill floor, there is no turning back. There's no backing up. There's no getting out. They need to follow straight ahead. And that's what this young man is doing. This boy's brain is drunk with his own desires. And his ability to reason, his ability to understand the consequences of his choices are being drowned out by his own desires. And the small choices that he's made up to this point have conditioned his mind to senselessly make a choice that will take him to the point of no return. He trades a moment of pleasure for a life of regret. The pleasures of sin are only for a season. What is in control of your heart? Tonight, that's a choice that you get to make. However, you cannot choose the consequences of your choice. As you evaluate your heart tonight, is it on a downward trajectory or is it pulling upward? And it all depends who's at the controls. That makes all the difference. James 1 verse 15 says, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. I'd like to look now at the desire of, or the design of Satan's lures. Now, I didn't bring it with me, but there is a fairly large northern pike that ended up on our office wall. It was one that we caught in Raglan Lake a number of years back, and there's quite a story that goes with getting this pike to the office wall, but anyway, that's for another time. <clears throat> but the lure, the lure that we had on the end of that line, it was one of the first times I used that lure. It was a fairly large lure, and one of the things I learned, if you want to catch a big fish, you got to use a big lure. And he's not that big. He's, what is he, 37 and a half inches. For us, it was big. We, we got him mounted. But the lure did what it was designed to do. And that was to attract, that was to entice, and that was to snare that fish. The pike traded his freedom for his appetite. 
But he was deceived. He did not see the hooks at the bottom of his lunch. Satan also uses lures to incarcerate his prey. And the lures are as ensnared as the prey. There is is deceived, there is enslaved as the fish that they're trying to catch. Now, the first thing we want to notice about the lure that Satan uses is she lieth in wait. She lieth in, in wait. Verse 12 talks about this. She lieth in wait means that she lurks in ambush. She uses the element of surprise. Her target is too skittish to go and knock on her door. So she stands out there and waits for him. And she's subtle. She's cunning. She's sly. She's artful. She's indirect. She's elusive. She knows the weakness of her target, and she's going to use the element of surprise and curiosity. The reason this woman is being used as one of Satan's lures is because she's out of place in God's design. Notice she's loud and stubborn, she's uncontrollable, she's rebellious, she's unmanageable. She's a woman that can't be told what to do. She's not in submission to her authority. She refuses to come under the headship order in her life. Her parents can't tell her anything. Or couldn't tell her anything. I guess she's married now or she's living with the, she calls him the good man. I'm not sure what he actually was. She loves to be naughty. She loves to live life on the edge. She does not have a meek and quiet spirit. You know, to our young ladies tonight, the spirit, the attitude, to all of you ladies, the spirit, the attitude you possess attracts the same thing in the opposite gender. It just does. If you don't want to be a lure in Satan's tackle box, then live in submission to your parents, your church, your husband. And when we come under the authority that God places in our lives, it brings us protection. Learn to cultivate, learn to live. What 1 Peter 3 verse 4 says, it says the hidden man of the heart, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Number two, the design of Satan's lures is she lures with her looks, her lashes, and her body language. She has the attire of a harlot. This woman's morals could be recognized and identified by what she wore and how she clothed her body. Now, a person's clothes do speak a language. They are a clue. They tell the world. They're a public declaration of what the wearer believes and what is in their heart. Now, yes, modest clothes can be a cover for a wicked heart. A plain suit can be a cover for a wicked heart. I'm not here to debate that. That is very possible. But I'm speaking in general terms. The basic function of clothes is to cover and conceal. But the world uses clothes to express and reveal. And you'll see that in in much of the styles that are out there today. Western culture is especially off track with what they have designed the feminine figure to be. In Middle East countries, it's a shame for women to appear in public the way they do here in the West. My uh, brother-in-law and his family lived in Israel for about five years, and we went there a couple of times to see them. 
And there are public, there are signs in public places in Israel that give direction as to how a woman should cover and dress herself. I find that interesting. They've actually, they actually provide scarves or shawls that if a woman is dressed indecently in public, they'll make her put that on. Sadly, many Christian, even Mennonite women in our Western culture don't even come close to measuring up to secular culture in the Middle East. There's something we can learn from them. Just a little practical advice. Make sure the pattern, the design, the color of your clothes conceals and covers. The mother of harlots in Revelation wore scarlet. The harlot also uses her lashes, her body language to express her intentions. If we turn back to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, it says here, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Again, in many cultures, the Middle East, Africa, Asia, extended eye, con- eye contact between genders is considered inappropriate. In our Western culture, we look each other in the eye. And I'm, I'm glad we do that. I like that. I think that is healthy. I think that can be done in a pure way. Of course it can. I'm just saying, in many cultures, it's considered inappropriate for extended eye contact. However, when Satan is in control of a person's heart, they can communicate with their eyes, with their walk, and with their body language a message that is sensual. If you notice here in verse 13, this woman has an impudent face. She looks at him with an impudent face, which means bold, brazen, sassy, and suggestive. Listen to what 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Now, modesty is a package. It really is. It includes dress, it includes demeanor, and it includes deeds. It includes all three. The design of Satan's lures. Next, she legitimizes sin. You see that in verse 14. She claims to be up to date in her relationship with God. She says she's just returned from giving her offering and paying her vows. She's got a great testimony. She poses as a godly woman, but she's leading a double immoral life. You know, a godly testimony in a harlot's garb is the height of spiritual hypocrisy. It is. It's an abomination to God, and Satan Satan still uses this lure today. He tries to rationalize. He tries to legitimize sin. He tries to separate a person's private and public life. He tries to deceive people into thinking that what they do and what they watch in the privacy of their own space is no one else's business. He tries to make you believe that the forbidden fruit is actually good for you. He magnifies pleasure and he minimizes consequence. He tries to connect the idea that if it feels good, it must be good. He wants you to believe that you can have the best of both worlds. Feed your passions in private and have the approval that comes with a spiritual appearance in public. Don't buy into that lie. Don't bite that lure. 
All right, now let's go to number three, the devastation and loss of immorality. You should find that it's on the back of your handouts. The devastation and loss of immorality. Now notice, notice where the dart strikes. Look at the target. It says in verse 23, it's his liver. And I find that, I find that interesting. There's a reason it says that. Your liver is the heaviest and largest internal organ in your body. And some of its functions and purposes is to de- detoxify and purify your body, your blood. That's what it's designed to do. Your liver also stores vitamins and chemicals that your body needs to be healthy. Your, your liver performs up to 500 different functions in your body. A damaged liver ultimately means death. And it's, it's fitting here that impure and immoral choices are compared to a damaged liver. Impure, immoral thoughts, desires, and thinking patterns lead to powerful immoral addictions. Researchers say that sexual addictions are among the strongest addictions possible. And I believe that's true. When a person is addicted to porn to sensual music, to sensual habits, that becomes the driving force to which the rest of their life revolves around. It's all they can think. It's all they can pursue. The conscience becomes more calloused. They seek to alleviate their guilt by pursuing more desperate and more corrupt actions to get that intoxicated high. And I believe that's why we're seeing the fast fall of morals in our society. It just has to get worse and worse to achieve the same results, just like drugs. You have to keep taking stronger and stronger drugs to get the same high, and it works that way with many addictions, and sexual addiction is no different. It's like having a liver that is diseased and not functioning. The mental, the physical, the emotional, the personal, the professional, the relational, and the spiritual life of a person spirals downward. Remember, sin will take you further than you want to go. Slowly but wholly taking control, sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. And notice this young man not only loses his liver, but he loses his life. And you'll see that in the next point. He loses his life. Verse 23 and verse 27. This literally happens to some. Others live their lives with consequences, with the consequences of their moral choices until their death. Notice over in Proverbs chapter 23. Let's just look at what he all loses. In verse 33 of Proverbs chapter 6, he loses his reputation and he lives with reproach. Proverbs 6 verse 26, he loses his financial freedom to fund his addiction. Proverbs 5 verse 11, he loses his health. His addiction drives him to make damaging decisions and take crazy risks. 
And then finally, in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 5, he loses his life and spends eternity in hell. And like the wolf, when morning comes, he finds himself dead in the snow. Well, I'm thankful tonight we don't need a close on a negative note. God's word has answers for those who are living in bondage to immorality and lust. It provides hope. It lays out a path to freedom. (laughs) And that is always the wonderful message of the gospel. It always gives us the path to freedom. Tonight, I understand what it's like to be bound in lust and in, in moral sin. I do. I've experienced some of that myself, and I thank God for his power and for freedom. But first thing, in dealing the death blow to lust, you'll see on your handout, is delight in God's word. Delight in God's word. It talks here at the beginning of verse seven or chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, about laying up my commandments, keeping my commandments, and my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Tonight, the word of God must have the first word and the last word in our lives. Psalm 1, verse 2 says, His delight, his pleasure is in the law of the Lord. Read God's word. Delight in it. Obey it. Let your life be washed with the washing of water by the word. Let it cleanse you. Meditate on God's word instead of on fantasies and imaginations. Listen to God's word with your AirPods. It's amazing what subconscious truth will do to your subconscious mind. We have a painter that comes into our shop to do the staining for the barns we build. Some of them get stained, and it's a lot of monotonous work to stain the wood siding for a barn. And this painter, he comes in, and when he first started coming, I noticed he wears these earbuds. And I was rather judgmental when I looked at him. I wondered, what in the world is this guy listening to? And eventually we started chatting, and he told me that, he told me about the inspiration he's getting from listening to the Bible being read. And here... He had the word of God streaming through his earbuds. I judged him way, way too quick. I was actually ashamed. I thought, you know, that's something I should be doing. Here he's listening to the word of God while he's working. What a wonderful thing to do. I mean, you cannot get pure information than the word of God. And I think sometimes we underestimate its power. And we read all kinds of other self-helps, and I'm not saying that there's not any room for any of that, but... We've got to start with first things first. And the Word of God is powerful. We read the other night. It's sharp. It'll go right down and do the surgery where it needs to be done. We need to, through repentance and sorrow for sin, ask the Lord Jesus to give us a new heart. And He's going to do His part. He will. Obey and embrace the requests and direction of the authority in your life. You will often find that people that live in rebellion to authority are also struggling with moral purity. 
The two go hand in hand. And the reason they do is because when we allow rebellion in our lives, it gives Satan a stronghold. It gives him a landing pad. It gives him an in into our hearts. Because that's what rebellion is. It's from from the devil. And then when he gets in there, he starts to direct our lives and he starts to call the shots and lead us into all kinds of temptation. You notice here in these verses, look at all the active choices these verses are asking this young man to make. If you notice here, my son, keep my words, lay up my commandments, keep my commandments, and live. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Active choices that he has to make, and we must do the same. The second thing is deliberately look away and avoid temptation. Verse 25 brings that out. It says, Let not then heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. Deliberately look away and avoid. I enjoy driving horses. I've had a team off and on over the years. And one of the things that driving horses' bridles have are blinders. And those blinders are to keep that horse from getting distracted, to keep it from looking, seeing things in its peripheral vision and spooking it. So they put blinders on the sides of their bridles. Another interesting thing I learned about the Orthodox Jews is that the men wear modesty glasses. And you might kind of chuckle to yourself, but these glasses are are glasses that are designed to only allow them to see just a few feet in front of them. And anything beyond that is blurry. Well, I'm not saying that that's what we should do. I don't think I would enjoy wearing that kind of glasses. But the, the, the design of those glasses is to keep the wearer from seeing inappropriately dressed women. That, that's, why they, that's why they have them. That's how serious these fellows are about having pure minds. I mean, you've got to commend them for that. There are times that you must divert your eyes. There's times that you must turn away. There's times that you must turn around and go a different way. You know, this young man here in Proverbs chapter 7, he made a deliberate choice to turn towards temptation, and he was lunch for the lion. There's places Christians must avoid, prices we must pay to protect our purity. Public beaches in the summer, massage parlors, work environments with close cross-gender co-worker interaction, social media chat rooms. I injured my knees. If you notice, I don't kneel to pray. I injured my knees back in 2012. I was in a wheelchair for about three months. And I still feel the effects today. I mean, the Lord has healed wonderfully, but I still do feel the effects. But I had to go for physio for about six months, four to six months. I forget how long it was. And when I first started going, I had a, a female therapist, and she was a good therapist. But I found that for myself, it produced, it caused too much temptation. So I requested that I could have a male physiotherapist, and that request was granted. For me, it's what I had to do. For you, it might be something else. But you've got to be willing to make deliberate choices. What are you willing to sell your soul for? 
What price will you pay to keep your heart pure? How do you deal the death blow to lust? Number three, diligently look after your heart. Your heart is critical to life. A severed artery, a blocked artery, and life is over. Your diet affects the condition of your heart. Fast food, junk food is hard on your heart. It clogs the pipes. Your spiritual diet affects your spiritual heart. Much of the entertainment program in the world tonight is going to affect your spiritual heart. I've seen a few movies in my day, very few, but a few. And from the few I've seen, there are, there's almost, almost none that don't have some scene in that movie where you just got to look away. There's a reason why they put that in there. Music will do the same thing. We're going to, Lord willing, talk about that tomorrow night. A healthy heart needs exercise. Get involved in God's work. Get involved in your church program. Reach out to others. Teach Sunday school. Take your turn. Heaven devotions. Exercise. Help your friend if they're struggling. Reach out to someone else if you're struggling. There's no shame in asking for help. We have all have the same red blood flowing through our veins. We do. I've had to reach out for help in this area various times through my life. A self-centered heart is a diseased heart. A serving, giving, sharing heart is a healthy heart that has much less time for destructive habits to destroy it. The moral condition of your heart is a life and death matter. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The opposite is also true. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. We're going to give an invitation tonight. And if you're struggling in this area and you'd like help, make that need known. Stand to your feet. It is never a weakness to request spiritual help. If you've never had a spiritual heart transplant, then we invite you to stand to your feet and receive one tonight. What shall we sing?